over and over again in, in history lessons, and as we've watched things like the History Channels, we've watched documentaries, as, as you've studied American history, you have always heard about Custer's last stand. The, the, the phrase is, is just very, very well known. It's become kind of a euphemism for people who take a stand against uh, insurmountable odds. We know about General Custer and his troops at the Battle of the Little Bighorn as they stood their ground and as they lost. Everyone talks about Custer's last stand. No one ever talks about Custer's last stroll in the park. No one ever talks about Custer's last walk. No one ever talks about Custer's last jog. It's always Custer's last stand. Something happens when we take a stand. Something decisive, something committed, something that's sometimes fatal, but taking a stand is always critical. Now all the way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's been talking about walking. He's been talking about our journey of faith together. He, he talked in chapter 1 about the lives that we lived before we knew Christ. And he says that's the way that we used to walk. He said we walked in futility. We walked in our sin. We, walked, we were walking to nowhere. And then in chapter 2, he talked about the, the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And he said that we should walk in them. We should walk in those good works. He told us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He told us to walk in love, to walk as children of light, to walk together. He told us to walk in a way that is wise and not unwise. And then we get to the end. We get to Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul stops talking about walking, and suddenly he talks about taking a stand. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. You've got those Bibles in front of you. It's page 979. If you've got a, 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 a iPhone or, or some other device that has the Uversion app on it, it is uh, the, the notes are uploaded along with all the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. I'd encourage you to, to look at that. But you notice in verse 10, Paul begins with the word finally. Finally. And there's a reason this passage begins with the word finally. Everything he has said in the previous five chapters has been building up to this. In chapter 1, he told us who we are in Christ. In chapter 2, he told us who we are as a church. Chapter 3, chapter 3 with that beautiful prayer that he prays in, in Ephesians chapter 3, we prayed it week after week to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or think. Chapter 4, when he told us how to treat each other with love and respect, how to have unity chapter 5, where he told us how to be a family, how to care for one another, and how to submit to one another. Now that you know how to walk together, this is how you stand together. And just as has been all the way through the letter, together is still essential here. I love this passage. I, I remember the first time I heard this passage as a junior high student. It was the coolest thing I had ever heard. I thought it was the best thing in the Bible. I, I still think it's pretty good. But the image in my mind that night as I heard that Scripture, the, that image that has been with me ever since, it, it's not all that helpful. And in fact, I, I'm sorry, but it's kind of like the image on your screens. It's kind of like the image on the front of your bulletin. It, it's that image of the lone warrior standing against insurmountable odds, standing against the horde of enemies coming at him. And that is not the image that Paul has for us when he talks about the armor of faith. It's not about the one. It's about the church. It's about all of us 
together standing against the horde. It's about God's people united standing against evil. And it's about how God has equipped us, all of us. God has equipped us to take our stand in every struggle that we face. There's a world of evil out there, but there is no evil that we have not been equipped to withstand. And so as Paul draws his letter to a close, he reminds us of the strength that we have in God, the strength that we have in each other, the strength that we have to stand, and he tells us exactly how to take our stand against the evil that's around us. And the first thing he tells us to do is to be strong. Look at verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over, the pre over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Finally, be strong. There is force in that passage. That is the call in this passage. But it's not so much a call to action as it is a call to trust. It's a call to realize that we can't do this alone. We don't have the power to do this alone. You don't have the strength in and of yourself to make this stand. And so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. It's his mighty strength that allows you and I to stand. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. By the way, this is the second time Paul's used those two words in this letter. Mighty strength, the strength of his might. Back in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he talked about how God raised Jesus from the dead through his mighty strength. That's the power of resurrection. The power that raised Jesus from the dead was God's mighty strength. Here in chapter 6, it's that same words, it's that same power, it's that same promise. If he raised Christ from the dead, he can enable you to take your stand. Who are we standing against? Verse 11 says, take your stand against the schemes of the devil. That might sound a little old-fashioned at times. And that might even sound a little superstitious to talk about the devil, to talk about evil spirits, to talk about demons. Do you really believe there are evil spirits out there? Do you really believe there are demons out there? There was a psychiatrist, uh, Scott Peck, Dr. Scott Peck, one of the preeminent psychiatrists, just, just passed away a few years ago. And Dr. Peck was, was certified, he was trained, he, he was one of the premier psychiatrists in our, in our world. He understood the science of the brain. He, Scott Peck knew that medications affected mental disorders. He knew that medications could bring healing and wholeness. But in his lifetime, Peck had seen evil like you and I cannot even begin to imagine. And he was left with one conclusion. There is something beyond the mental. There is something beyond the physical. There is something beyond the chemical. There is something that he had to call the devil. Paul says, be strong in the mighty power of the Lord because you have an enemy. Listen again to verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Please hear what he said. We do not wrestle 
against flesh and blood. In other words, other people are not our enemies. Other people are not our enemies. And the number of times I have heard people identify others as our enemies, that this this particular group of people or this particular person is an enemy of Christ. It is frustrating because he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Thank you, Connor. Muslims are not our enemies, guys. Muslims are flesh and blood. They're not our enemies. Liberals. Liberals are not our enemies. And the good news is conservatives are not our enemies also. Pro-life, pro-choice, gay, straight. Anytime we make other people our enemies, the real enemy laughs. The real enemy wins another battle. When we allow fear and and hate or, or disgust to inform the way we treat another human being, the enemy wins. And the reality is, more often than not, if if we were to, to be honest about where our battles really come from and, and what we're really fighting, it's more often than not, it's within ourselves than, than it is other people. Paul has a, a nice parallel passage to this one in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's there in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. You hear that? Our enemy's not flesh and blood. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Arguments, opinions, Thoughts, taking our thoughts captive to obey Christ. We've got to admit, those are usually our opinions. Those are usually our thoughts. Those are usually the arguments in our own heads. We wrestle with temptations. We wrestle with sin. We wrestle with bad decisions and worldly wants. The desires within ourselves to to have our own way, those desires that pull us away from our commitment to Christ, more often than not, our enemy isn't out there. Our enemy has found his way in here. And when we grasp that, we can put that strength to use. When we grasp that, we can stand firm. And that's the next call. Be strong in the Lord and then stand firm. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. You know, in the same way that be strong was not about our strength, stand firm is about what God gives us in the battles that we face. It's about the tools that He supplies. It's about His strength. It's about His power. It's about His armor that He gives us. As we look at the armor in a moment, we see that it's really about His very presence. But you know, all that armor won't help us to stand what won't help us if we're not ready to stand, if we've not made the commitment to stand. Paul says to, to withstand in the day of evil. And back in chapter 5, verse 16, Paul said all the days, all the days are evil. It's not a particular day that we're waiting for. It's just an awareness that every day is evil. And you know, sadly, that's, that's a reality of, of physical warfare. And, and it's a reality that, that in physical warfare, we've seen the damage. We've seen the danger of ignoring it all too often. I was talking to Wes a little bit about this. Wes, our, 
our Marine here. I was talking to him about this this morning. Uh, you very often in the news hear stories or see horrifying images or, or videos of, of soldiers in war-torn countries and little children who will come up to those soldiers looking very innocent, maybe bringing a flower or bringing a, a bottle of water, but those children are strapped with, uh, with explosives. And we've seen the, the damage, the horrifying damage that that causes. And that's the, that's the sad price of them letting their guard down. Soldiers are constantly told to, to, to stay frosty. They're told to stay, uh, to stay in condition yell. Keep your head on a swivel, right? Keep your head on a swivel. Our enemy, the devil, requires us to keep our head on a swivel. Uh, our enemy will come at us sideways. You will never see him coming. I mean, if you think you've got the devil figured out, if you think you've got him figured out, and if you think you've got yourself figured out, if you think you know your weaknesses and know how he's going to attack you, he's going to come at you a way that you never saw coming. He's going to surprise you. And so Paul writes in verse 14, Stand, therefore. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I wish I had about six weeks to take that armor piece by piece and, and talk about every piece of it. Maybe we'll do that later. Maybe we'll do that in, sometime in the future. But I'd love to just take that armor piece by piece and, and talk about it. But right now I want you to know this. Based on everything that Paul has said in those verses, there is not a weakness in your life that God has not got you covered. There is not a weakness in your life where God does not have protection for you. If you're attacked with lies, if you're attacked by the enemy with the lies that you are not good enough, that you are hopeless, that, that, that the situation in your life is hopeless, that things are never going to get better, he says you have a belt of truth to put on, a belt of truth that protects you from those lies. If you're attacked, on the other hand, with the truth, the truth that you've failed, and you've failed over and over again, that, that you have sinned, He covers your heart with a breastplate of His own righteousness. If you're attacked with doubts, doubts about yourself, doubts about your faith, doubts about the reality of who God is, your, helmet, your head is covered in a helmet of salvation. You have power in His Word, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You have peace in those shoes to, to move forward. But here's the thing, as wonderful as that imagery that Paul uses is, don't get so enamored by the image of the armor that you forget the verbs. Because the verbs are very important in this passage. And it's easy to get so enamored by the imagery of the armor that we forget the verbs. Strap on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit. These are things that we have to do for ourselves. These are things you have to do for yourself. I can't come to your house in the morning and get you dressed for battle. I can't come to your house in the morning and put on the belt of truth for you or put the breastplate of righteousness on you. You have to take responsibility for that yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You have to make yourself ready to stand. I want you to hear what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3-8. through 
kind of a lengthy passage, but, but I want you to hear what Peter says because Peter compliments what Paul says very well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says of God, God's divine power, His divine power has granted to us all things, everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world because of, because of sinful desires. Now, that's a lot to take in. But hear what he says next. For this very reason, because God has made you ready, because God has given you His power, because God has given you His promises, for this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear how Peter put it? Make every effort if you want to stand it will require effort not just a little effort it's going to require every effort years ago in my my first ministry long long time ago uh we had a lady that came to church where i was preaching and she wasn't from our community, so she didn't come every Sunday, but it was always nice to see her, but you know, she wasn't there every Sunday, so you didn't expect her every Sunday, but you kind of watched for her. I noticed she hadn't been there for a few weeks, and I went to one of my elders, and I said, hey, Linda's not been here for a while. you have any idea where she is? And, and he said, yeah, uh, Linda's not going to be coming back. And I thought, oh, that's, that's too bad. I, I like Linda. I enjoyed Linda. I said, do you know why she's not going to come back? And he said... Yeah, she said she's just not being fed here. Now, I got to tell you, uh, I had to listen to my own sermons. I got that, right? I mean, I, I knew how that was. I, I preached some horrible sermons back then. I, you know, worse than these. You know, I, I was preaching really bad sermons. I kind of get the whole I wasn't being fed thing. I thought, that's, that's too bad. I said, well, where is she going? Because, you know, if you're not getting fed here, you go someplace else to, to get fed. I said, where is she going? And he smiled and he said, She's not going anywhere. Now, you may have noticed uh, that Connor left a few minutes ago, and you may be wondering where Connor is. Uh, there are donuts in the other room. Okay? I, sh I, I, I always hesitate to mention that during the sermon, but there are donuts in the other room. Uh, well, there were. There were donuts in the other room. There's a good chance there are no donuts in the other room now. Connor has his problems. I'm sure you've noticed. I'm sure you've heard. Connor has his problems. Feeding himself is not one of those problems. Connor does not require any of us to feed him. Connor knows how to feed himself. Connor knows how to dress himself. I'm not saying he does it, but he knows how. If you came over to the house, there's a very good chance Connor's not got pants on. But then again, he's a 16-year-old boy. Uh, what do you expect? But if I said, Connor, go put pants on, we're going to go eat. Boom, pants are going on. They may be backwards, but they're going on. And what I'm trying to say is if my son with all of his problems knows how to feed himself, I don't, accept the, I don't accept the criticism I'm not being fed. Grow up. Learn how to take care of yourself. At some point, 
we all have to take responsibility. What are we doing for ourselves? Are you in church? If you're not being fed, are you in church? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? Are you even in this battle? Or have you sidelined yourself by cutting yourself off from the only source of strength that we have? Make every effort. And what are we called to do for each other? What are we doing that's bigger than just for ourselves? That's where Paul takes us next. He tells us to keep alert. And it's here that Paul turns to the subject of prayer. And Paul does not present prayer like it's part of the armor. Paul doesn't present prayer as though it's another part of the armor. I always wished he did. I always thought if Paul wrote this today, he would say, you know, take up the shield of faith, take up this, strap on the belt, and launch the intercontinental ballistic missile of prayer. But he didn't. And he, he didn't, he probably wouldn't. That doesn't quite get it because prayer is not just another weapon that we pick up or another piece of armor that we strap on. Prayer is foundational. Prayer is at the heart of who we are. Prayer, prayer is, is how we take our stand and prayer is even how we move ahead. Prayer is the ultimate expression of our dependence upon God. And so you hear from the first word that Paul writes in verse 18, praying at all times. This isn't about about strapping on the armor when things are getting bad. This isn't about taking up the shield when things are getting bad. Praying in the Spirit. He's already doing it. Praying in the Spirit at all times. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. That words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. <clears throat> There's a key word there. Maybe you noticed it. The word is all. It occurs four, to four times. Four times in those first verses. Praying at all times. With all prayer and supplication. With all perseverance. Keep on praying for all the saints. In other words, there is never a time, there is never a circumstance, there is never a struggle or an opportunity that you face where prayer is not the right response. There is never a person in your life with a need that you should not be praying for. Where prayer is, and then where prayer is the proper response, Paul even then goes on to make it more personal. He says, pray for me. I've told you before, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He was awaiting trial. He was going to stand before the king and defend himself. And Paul said, when I stand before the king and defend myself, I want to preach the gospel. And so he says, pray for me that I may declare the gospel. And you look at that image of that soldier. A soldier equipped physically with with armor and weapons like that, the, the furthest that soldier could reach was the end of his sword. That's the furthest he could go was to the end of his sword. And, and you read the list of the armor, and every bit of that armor is defensive. Even the sword, even the sword of the Spirit, that image of that broadsword you have there, that's not quite right. It's actually a small dagger that Paul's talking about. A little dagger that would be strapped onto the, the guy's belt, and, and he would use that for close quarter combat. He would use that to defend himself. Every bit of that weaponry is, is defensive, but prayer is an offensive weapon. Prayer reaches out. Prayer reaches beyond. Prayer moves us forward. I've seen a lot of, a lot of Christians and I've seen a lot of churches do things by their own strength. 
by their own strength. I've seen churches do some amazing things. I've seen churches do amazing things because of the wealth that comes into that church. And so they're able to, to launch all kinds of programs and do all kinds of things. I've seen churches do amazing things because of the intelligence of their, of their leaders. I've seen churches do amazing things because of the energy of, the, of their people and the ability of their people. But none of it matters without prayer, without praying for each other, without praying for the spread of the Gospel. And you notice all the way through Ephesians, it's been walk. Walk, walk, and then here in chapter 6, it's stand. It's stand firm. But then there's another change. Verse 15 talks about the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. <coughs> and then in prayer, it's no longer about standing. It's about moving forward. It's about the gospel reaching new people. It's about the church reaching out and moving into the community. It's about this present darkness and these spiritual forces of evil being invaded by the light of God's love. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. In Matthew 16, Peter makes his good confession. He makes his confession of who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in verse 18, Jesus turns around and says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've seen a lot of war movies. I've seen a lot of battles. I've seen some war movies that had battles uh, with modern warfare. I've seen ancient warfare. I've even seen fantasy warfare with dragons and stuff like that. I've seen a lot of people go up against a lot of gates. I have never seen a movie where gates attack people. I've never seen a movie where all of a sudden these gates show up and they start shoving people back. That's not how it works. Armies attack gates. Gates don't attack armies. Armies attack gates. Armies overcome gates. Armies push those gates open and they set the captives free that were behind the gates. And that's exactly the point here. It's not just about taking a stand. It's about the attack. It's about pushing forward. It's about winning the victory. God has equipped us to stand in every struggle we face. And He has equipped us for the victory. You know, somewhere in your life you felt the attack. I think somewhere in your life you've you felt the despair, you felt the doubt, You've, you felt weak, you felt like a failure, you felt trapped, you felt locked in your, in your sin, and you felt locked up in your sin because it's a sin that nobody knows about, and so it seems like nobody's care, nobody cares about your sin, nobody cares about you, and, and nobody's praying, but, but God knows your weakness, and He has provided everything you need for victory, more than, more than armor, more than weapons he's provided you with a church that loves you he's provided you with people who pray for you people who care for you people who love you and together we can push those gates open together we can help set one another free and then i think of the people outside I think of people outside the church people in our community people that we know somewhere out there there's someone who's who's trapped in darkness you know them as a friend or a neighbor or maybe a co-worker or maybe even a relative and you find yourself afraid, afraid maybe you'll say the wrong thing or, or, or do the wrong thing and just push them away and make things worse. But God has shoes of peace for you to go to them, to care for them, to love them, to forgive them, and to push those gates open. It's time for us to take a stand. It's time to move forward. And the promise is there. The gates of hell will not prevail. Let's stand and pray.
Father, our, our enemy has schemes that we haven't begun to understand. Sometimes his attacks are subtle. And we don't even recognize him. Sometimes they are so in our face. He hits us from the front. He hits us sideways. He, he keeps us fighting ourselves. He keeps us fighting each other. And in and of ourselves, we have nothing with which to defeat him. He will continue to divide us. He will, he will continue to hurt us. And he will fill our lives with frustration and pain. But you have supplied everything we need for life and victory. So in our moments of weakness, call us to be strong in you. And when we feel ourselves crumpling under the attack of our enemy, help us to stand firm. Equip us with bat for battle and wrapped in your presence. And when we feel very alone, keep us alert to the reality that we are united in prayer, united in your spirit, and together we can stand firm. Together we can move forward. And the gates of hell will not prevail. We ask this to your glory. And in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.